All right, so today we're starting a new series. We're going to deep dive into Song of Solomon. <laughs> Carrie's excited. <laughs> so we're going to discover relationships that actually work. That's what the Song of Solomon's all about. So if you're married, this is going to help take your relationship to a whole nother level. If you're not married, you still need to be here because it may just help you find your mate. And even though it's the Song of Solomon, we're going to be talking about more than just romance, believe it or not. Many of the things that will help nurture your marriage will also, can also be applied to other relationships in your life. So this series is for everybody, not just those who are married or want to be married. So just keep on coming. But before we get started, we got to set up some ground rules. You see, anytime relationship advice is offered, we tend to want to hear it for somebody else. I, sure, I hope so-and-so comes next week so they can hear what's being talked about. Or you know that look that you give your spouse when you're like, you better be listening, right? Now, for this series to actually make a difference in your life, you need to focus on listening what you need to change, not somebody else. Not your husband, not your wife. Focus on what needs to happen in you. Can we all do that? Well, now, the second rule is that we're not going to look back. You see, it doesn't matter if you've botched several relationships in the past or if you've been divorced 13 times. God makes all things new. He really does. So see this series as a fresh start, not a reminder of the things that you've done wrong. And hear me on this. We're going to talk about some things that are going to trigger those past memories. And whenever those come up, I want you to remind yourself of our core value. We don't waste one moment in regret. We're moving forward. We're not looking back. And lastly, I want to warn you that there are parts of this series that are going to get a little bit graphic because it is the Song of Solomon after all. So specifically week three, where we're going to dive into the part of the Song of Solomon that describes their honeymoon night in graphic detail. There's actually a passage that says, they made love all night long. All night. Right? So men, that's February 17th, if you want to write that down. (laughs) All right, so the whole point of Song of Solomon is to show us that God's way for love and relationships is way better than the world's way. It's better than what you see on TV, and it's even better than the most epic chick flick, whatever that is, the notebook or something like that. I don't know. Now, there are three characters in the Song of Solomon that we need to pay attention to. The first is called Lover, and that's actually Solomon. The second is the beloved, which is a young woman that's soon to become Solomon's wife. And then the third is the friends, which is actually the friends of the young woman. So it starts off when they're dating, and then it moves into the marriage ceremony. And then it even moves into what happens after the marriage ceremony, which we all can agree that marriage can get a little tough at times. And guess what? Solomon and his woman, they had the same tough times. And we're going to learn about those. So let's get started. Solomon chapter 1, verse 1. This is Solomon's Song of Songs, more wonderful than any other. The young woman speaks up, kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. Some of y'all are already getting excited. This is starting off good. I mean, they're already kissing. You see, Solomon loved better than anybody else. And we're not just talking about romantic love, but he actually had a great love for just everybody around him. He was a great friend and, and all of that stuff. So keep that in mind as we keep going. How pleasing is your fragrance. Your name is like the spreading fragrance of scented oils. No wonder all the young women love you. You see, when Solomon walked into the room, it was like a sweet fragrance walked into the room. He didn't have to say anything. Everybody was just glad that he was there. In other words, he had an epic reputation and everybody wanted to be around him. What a guy. Let's keep going. Take me with you. Come, let's run. The king has brought me into his bedroom. And then the friends speak up. They say, how happy we are for you, O king. We praise your love even more than wine. How right they are to adore you. 
So this relationship was so good between Solomon and the young woman that the friends wanted that same relationship. They're just like, wow, that's so awesome. But the young woman probably just smiled and said, too bad, ladies, he's all mine, right? The young woman speaks up. She says, I'm dark but beautiful, O women of Jerusalem, dark as the tents of Kedar, dark as the curtains of Solomon's tents. So today we like admire skin that's nice and tan, right? But back then, this was not something that was viewed as attractive. So the young woman's basically saying, I know I'm not much to look at, but there's something else about me that's beautiful. In other words, she was communicating to her friends that her and Solomon's love was more than just a physical attraction. It was deeper than that. She continues, don't stare at me because I am dark. The sun has darkened my skin. My brothers were angry with me. They forced me to care for their vineyards, so I couldn't care for myself, my own vineyard. You see, here the young woman's saying is, don't stare at the wrong things. Don't fix your attention on the physical. Instead, focus on the right things. She says, tell me, my love, where are you leading your flock today? Where will you rest your sheep at noon? For why should I wander like a prostitute among your friends and their flocks? You see, this girl wasn't like the other girls on the sidelines, kind of flaunting her body, waiting for the men to get off work and see which one she was going to pick up. No, she had a real relationship with Solomon. She wasn't like the other women. Women, she, had, she was a woman of honor. She may not have been the best looking on the outside, but Solomon knew that she stood out from the crowd in other ways. And in his eyes, she was the most beautiful woman around. And this leads us into today's message. Part one is the art of attraction. You see, there's different ways that we're attracted to others. And the culture around us likes to put the primary focus on physical attraction. Ladies, you got to be on fleek to pick up the man that you want, right? Get your makeup right, wear those revealing clothes, and spend just a few hours on your hair. And men, you all better hit the gym and muscle up to get the lady that you want. But here we are, barely into the Song of Solomon, and we've already debunked this myth that physical attraction is where it's at. You see, the greatest of all love stories included a woman who was not much to look at. So if not physical attraction, why were they so attracted to each other? Solomon and his gal had something much better than physical attraction. They had spiritual attraction. One of the most attractive things in any relationship you have is how much you love God and have a desire to live according to his purpose. Men, if you want to light your lady on fire, then pursue God's purpose for your life. Actually, that's how I got Beth. You know, she didn't really care much for me until she saw me at youth group one night leading worship. And that's a true story. And then she's like, you know what? I, th- I think I could date that guy, actually. Now, I'm not saying that you have to become a worship leader or a pastor, but there are three ways that we can all become more spiritually attractive. And the first one is to love and worship God. Now, this can be a struggle for men. Actually, for some of you out there, the music part of our service is your least favorite part of the service. And actually, if the band wasn't so good, you might just be tempted to skip it altogether and just show up 30 minutes late. But know this, expressive worship will actually woo your spouse. And not only that, but those around you will, that see you worship God freely will actually respect you more. You see, our mind likes to tell us that uh, if we sing out or if we raise our hands, that the other men around us will think we're a wuss. We'll lose our man card, and we'll never get it back, right? Funny thing is, the other men are actually thinking, man, I can't believe he's confident enough to do that. I hope I can be that bold someday. And your wife, she's thinking, ooh, la, la. I can't wait to get this man home and put the kids down for a nap, right? All right, so the second way to become more spiritually attractive is to pursue my God-given purpose. 
When you press into God's purpose for your life, which is much more than just showing up on Sunday, by the way, the world around you takes notice. Not only will your spouse love it, but you'll find yourself in an abundance of meaningful relationships. So don't just show up on Sunday. Invite Jesus into your daily life. And when you are here on Sunday, you need to find a place to serve and to get involved. Don't just come here to get something. Come here to give something. And when you do this, when you pursue your God-given purpose, your life becomes more than you could have ever imagined it would be. Trust me, it works. And anybody who's done it, anybody who's went all in and gave to their God-given purpose has found out the same thing. All right, the third way to become more spiritually attractive is to have godly standards. You've probably noticed that our culture gravitates towards loose standards. It's pretty much okay to do anything you want because what does it matter anyway? You deserve it, right? Those who live with loose standards are supposed to be enjoying their life more, but I've kind of noticed that they don't seem to be enjoying their life at all. They're upset all the time. They have no peace. They never have enough money. Their relationships are falling apart at the seams. But hey, at least they're having fun doing what they want, when they want. Take a look at this quote. When you have loose standards, you lose your spiritual attraction. You can't really put your thumb on it, but all of a sudden, all those relationships that mean the most to you just start falling apart. The only thing that's gravitating towards you are other people with loose standards. So for those of you who are looking for a spouse, you need to look for somebody who has godly standards and sets boundaries. In other words, this is how far we're going when we're dating, and everything else is reserved for marriage. And if you like my standards, then you might just get to put a ring on it. All of us need to remember that spiritual attraction is the first and most important thing in every relationship of our life, not just in marriage, because you are a spirit being and you will always be a spirit being. So now let's move on to the next type of attraction, emotional attraction. Let's continue on with the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 9. You're as exciting, my darling, as a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. How lovely are your cheeks. Your earrings set them afire. How lovely is your neck, enhanced by a string of jewels. Now, men, I don't recommend calling your wife a horse. Like, it may have worked thousands of years ago, but it's probably not going to work very well today. But what's being said here is actually really beautiful because Pharaoh had the strongest, most beautiful horses. They were thoroughbreds and considered the greatest of all possessions. So in other words, they were priceless. So Solomon's not saying that she looks like a horse. What he's saying is that she's priceless. She's the best of the best. She's the most sought after of all women. Let's keep going. The king, so the woman's speaking here. The king is lying on his couch, enchanted by the fragrance of my perfume. My lover is like a sachet of myrrh lying between my breasts. He's like a bouquet of sweet henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. Now, I have no idea what a sachet of myrrh is, but I'm pretty sure that Solomon was glad that he was one. (laughs) But basically, what Solomon and the young woman are revealing in the last two passages is that they were emotionally attracted to each other. Now, we all need to work on nurturing emotional attraction, although it's going to be a little bit harder for the men than for the women. But just because you women are emotional beings doesn't mean it's going to be that easy for you either. But if we work on the emotional side of our relationship, great things come out of that. So here are three ways to nurture emotional attraction. And the first one is you got to value them. I hit the jackpot when I married you, babe. Seriously. I got the best woman there is, and I don't know how it happened, but I got her. You're like one of Pharaoh's horses. (laughs) 
<laughs> now, now, some of you ladies are thinking, but he's not the best of the best. There are way better guys out there, actually. But remember our ground rule. This message is for you to hear about the things that need to change in you, not what needs to change in your spouse. So let me challenge you in this. If you don't like what you're seeing in your spouse, take a look at what you're saying about your spouse, because your spouse will become what you speak. So instead of sitting there thinking how he needs to change, why don't you lead the change by thinking about and saying the things about him that you actually want to see? Which leads us into the second way to nurture emotional attraction, and that's you got to speak life to them. Have you ever been consumed with what your spouse is not? Like, maybe they're not a very clean person, or they don't give you enough physical affection, or they don't help out with the kids the way that you would like them to. Now, several years ago, I won't tell you how many, Beth and I graduated high school. And then two months later, we got married. Our dating relationship was a dream. There wasn't anything about her that I didn't like. There wasn't anything about me that she didn't like, at least not that I know of. She may have another story, but I'll just imagine it that way. Y'all work with me. We would follow each other around at school, and we would have lunch together. She would send me off to work after school, and then on my way home from work, I'd call her up, and we would talk on the phone for hours. Then we got married. (laughs) And we moved in together. And all of a sudden, all these new things started to come out of the woodworks. She left her clothes on the floor. She thought she had to tell me how to cook. And you know what? Anytime we needed to go somewhere, she was never ready in time. And me, I was in a bad mood all the time. (laughs) Thanks, babe. I was selfish and not willing to compromise. I didn't want to do anything best way. It was all about my way. We spent months trying to change each other. We were focused on fixing things that we didn't like about the other person. Until one day, we were both introduced to the most profound thought. Take a look at this on the screen. We get married because we love the other person, and then we spend our entire marriage trying to change them into somebody else. We've all been there, but we don't have to stay there. I challenge you and myself today to always focus on what your spouse is, not what they're not. Forget about all the things you want to change about them and just accept and celebrate who they are. Does this mean they're always going to be perfect? No. But make a choice to speak only the positive over them. Throw the negative thoughts in the trash and see them as who they're going to become as they grow in their relationship with Jesus. Which brings us to the third way to nurture emotional attraction. You got to think good thoughts about them. You got to take captive the negative thoughts and you got to turn them into positive thoughts. Even if they haven't given you a reason to think that they're awesome, do it anyway. Even if the last positive memory you have of them was like years ago, go ahead and pull that up and think on it. And then just imagine them for who you want them to become and envision them the way that Jesus sees them. You see, he sees us through the eyes of love. He forgives our every mistake. He believes in who we can become. And he's extremely patient as we take that journey towards who he knows that we can become. So you got to think about your spouse that way. You got to treat your spouse that way. And you got to speak to your spouse that way. Now, before we get into the next type of attraction, I want to give you a few insider tips. So listen up. Women, they like to be admired for who they are. Now, men, we like to be admired for what we do. So, all you ladies out there, there's really no need to point out how handsome your husband is or how loving your husband is, because you know what? He already believes that about himself, whether it's true or not. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's true. You can be as ugly as a mud fence, and you think you're good looking. That's just how it works. So instead of doing all that, just ask him about his accomplishments at work and express your gratitude for how he works so hard to support your family. And when he's mowing the lawn, go out there and take note and say, oh, babe, look at those straight lines. That looks awesome. Let him know how good it looks and go out and admire that garage whenever he's done cleaning out and, and point out something specific about it. Hey, I like how you took all that stuff and put it in a bin. It looks way better out here. And then you got to quit getting hung up on what your wife does or doesn't do. You know, maybe she didn't cook the best dinner. But don't say anything about it. Just smile and tell her how thankful you are that she's such a great mother, such a great wife. And just keep on smiling. Maybe she'll cook it better next time, but maybe not. It's okay. And you know what? Take some time to listen to her. Like, really listen. Not just pretend that you're listening. I know how we all like to do that. And then you got to pull out the most profound response. And then what happened, babe? Just keep the conversation going. Let her talk. She'll love it. Because here's the deal. If you don't do these things, somebody else will. And let me tell you that adultery never happens because of physical attraction. It happens because there was an emotional need that was not met. There was a vacuum in the home, an emotional need not being met, and then someone else came along and met the need, and then it went from there. So you've got to focus on nurturing the emotional attraction. And all right, men, if I lost you in that emotional stuff, we're about to move on into the physical stuff. So go ahead and perk your ears back up. And listen up. Song of Solomon 1.15. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful your eyes are like doves. I want you to notice that Solomon didn't start off by pointing out her boobs or her butt. He started with her eyes. So, fellas, if you're writing something down, you may want to write that down because you're probably going to forget. Start by admiring her eyes, not her boobs, right? Just remind yourself of that. All right, let's keep going. You are so handsome, my love. This is a woman talking now. Pleasing beyond words, the soft grass is our bed, fragrant cedar branches are the beams of our house, and pleasant-smelling firs are the rafters. Oh, man, she's talking about how inviting the bed is. It's about to get spicy. It's quite obvious that things are getting a little steamy between Solomon and his young woman. You see, they moved from spiritual attraction to emotional attraction, and now the physical is coming into play. But i got to ask you, what's all this talk about beams and, and rafters? Basically, what's being said here is that physical intimacy is a beautiful thing. It's like the most beautiful house that you've ever seen. And I want you to notice that they're not relating physical intimacy to a shack or a slum, although there's many Christians that believe that God sees it that way. But no, God created intimacy, and it's a very good thing. But it has to be built on a solid foundation. It has to be built with solid materials. It has to be built with cedar beams and fur rafters. It has to start with spiritual attraction, and then emotional attraction needs to be nurtured. And this is what sets the stage for physical attraction. And we're not going to dive into this one today, because in two weeks, it's going to be the entire message. But, Sol but Solomon and his gal did things so right. They did it the God way, that I want you to take a look at what happens to the woman. She says, I'm the spring crocus blooming in the Sharon Plain, the lily of the valley. You guys remember just a few verses ago, the young woman was saying that she was not much to look at. Now she's likening herself to a beautiful flower. And this isn't because she went in for a Botox treatment, but because she discovered her beauty from the inside out because of the way her man was treating her. And this happened because their relationship was built the right way. It started with spiritual attraction, 
And then they both invested in emotional attraction before ever moving into the physical. Let's keep going. Strengthen me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples, for I'm weak with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. We're having a debate on this, actually, with Tim and Darla before the service. Is this make-out position, or were they spooning, or what was going on here? We don't know. But you may be wondering what raisins has to do with physical attraction, right? But back then, raisins was seen as something that like enhanced the intimate experience, kind of like lighting candles or, or having a glass of wine. So, men, the next time you have a romantic evening, I want you to just pull out the raisins and see what happens. <laughs> So we can see that these two were hot for each other, and they were looking for a way to fan the flame and make it bigger. But take a look at this. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. Ah, who brought out the fire extinguisher? It's over. The young woman's reminded that they need to cool their jets because it's not quite time for physical intimacy. They're still in a dating relationship, And although physical intimacy has its place, and it's a real good thing, it just wasn't the right time. Bottom line, God created sex. He didn't look down at Adam and Eve and say, oh, I, God, what are they doing down there? Just can't believe it. He created the beauty. He created the passion. He created the enjoyment. And he created everything that's good about sex. But if you let it get out of its time and place... It'll be the most destructive thing in your life. That's why in two weeks, we're going to spend time talking about how to keep sex in its right place so that you can enjoy all of the benefits. It's not going to be a, a condemning message about sex. So don't, don't skip out because maybe you've done things the wrong way in the past. Show up because if you want to make the most out of your sex life, you need to learn things the biblical way. It really works. So after everything that was said today, you may be thinking, yeah, okay, but you don't know my husband, or you don't know my wife, or you don't know my past. I've already messed this whole thing up. Kate, you're actually painting this ideal that's not even possible. It doesn't even work that way. But I want to challenge you this morning to remove all those negative thoughts and look at this from the perspective of how God sees you. You see, when I came to God, I was immoral. I was unfaithful. I was a really big mess. Yet he loved me and he accepted me as his own. There was nothing about me that was attractive, but he kept his eyes focused on who I would become in Christ and he never held my past against me. God had every right to say, I don't really want a relationship with Cade. Like he's just too messed up and I don't know if he's ever going to become who I need him to become. But instead he decided to love me And he decided to be patient with me. And he walked alongside me as I made progress. And he even picked me up whenever I fell back into old old habits. You see, we often think that we need to point out mistakes. We have to confront the things that we don't like about other people in order for them to change. So then we think that that's how God sees us. That's how God treats us. But it's not. Yes, he wants the destructive things out of your life. He really does. But he loves us, and he gives us the power to overcome those things, rather than just continually pointing out where we fall short. And understanding this great love is really the only way that we can love others. 
even those that are the most unlovable. So if all this sounds impossible, it is. Without God, you can't do it on your own. But when we let God guide our relationships, instead of looking to the world, everything starts to fall into place. Take a look at this quote. You come to love not by finding the perfect person, but by seeing the imperfect person perfectly. You see, this is how Jesus fell in love with you. And it's also the way that you can have the best marriage of your life. So before we leave today, I'm going to ask you two questions. And I want you to go ahead and just close your eyes so you can really focus on what the answer is for you. And the first question is, do you find yourself in a position today where you know about God, but you don't really know God? In other words, there's something that's drawing you to a relationship with him, but you don't yet have that relationship. If that's you, if you're ready to move into a real relationship with God, I want to ask you to just raise your hand because acknowledging that you need God is the first step. So on the count of three, just raise your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, good, I see that hand. Awesome, awesome. And now I just want you to take a moment and speak out loud and say, say, I need you, God. I want a relationship with you. I don't want to do this on my own anymore. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. I acknowledge you as the one who saved me from my destructive life. And now I live in you. I live for you. Now, the second question I want to ask is, do you find yourself in a position today where your marriage is falling apart? Or maybe you want to be married, but you can't seem to figure out what needs to happen next. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I am going to encourage you to take all that weight that's on your shoulders and give it to God. And I challenge you to make a decision today to let him handle it. Today marks the end of you trying to fix your marriage on your own. No longer are you going to let yourself get consumed with everything you don't like about your spouse. Instead, you're going to love them like Jesus. And those of you who are looking for a spouse, today marks the end of you trying to find them on your own. Instead, you're going to trust God to bring the right person at the right time because I can promise you, He wants to do that for you. It may sound mystical, but it works. And I know that because of my own story and because of other stories that I've heard about when God brings two people together. I really believe that the Lord brought me Beth because in my 11th grade year, I was a hot mess and basically just kind of had a come to Jesus moment and told, told God, I was like, I'm not dating anybody. I'm not even interested in anybody until you show me who it is that I'm going to marry because I don't want to waste any more time on this. And along came Beth. I'd been in my school for all 13 years of my life, and she had been going to another school. And senior year, by a, a weird turn of events, ended up coming to the school that I was at. And we met, and no sparks flew. I mean, I was attracted to like have a friendship with her and help her to get connected in our school, but I didn't realize that that was a woman I was going to marry until God showed me in a dream one night several months later that here she is. I brought her to you just like you asked me to. So I really believe, there's other stories in here. Not, not exactly like that. God may not communicate it in a dream. There's no telling how he's going to do it. You shouldn't put limitations on how he wants to bring somebody into your life. But what I do know is that if you give it to him, he'll bring that right person to you at the right time. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you're giving us direction for our relationships.
Lord, we thank you for the best marriage. We thank you for marriage the way that you've created it. Lord, we ask you to remove the lies that we've believed from our culture, from our world, and show us the truth. Show us how it really needs to be done. Show us that love is patient and love is kind. Lord, help us to love our spouse. Help us to love everybody around us the way that you love us. Lord, give us a deeper revelation of your love for us so that we can walk in that love. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.